Welcome to the Noble 8 Podcast, Ape Reality. I'm Tom Barbele, and this evening, well, I've got a list of things to talk about, but most of it is actually going to talk about the development that I've already done. In fact, the development I've already done because I haven't been recording podcasts in large part, but also the development I've already done because the Noble 8 simulation is pretty well already library ready after some earlier development with Moon Monkeys. However, I'd like to start with a little plug. Gerald de Jong of the Darwin at Home podcast and Darwin at Home project sent me an email on Facebook asking me why there were two Facebook groups associated with Noble Ape. And somewhat ironically, Gerald actually provided the perfect counterexample that I'd been looking for about why there were actually two groups. The first group is associated with historical folk that have had something to do with Noble Ape development, but may not have any current or any interest in ape reality. These people have a group of their own, and these are people like James Murata, Doug Rushkoff, various musicians that performed on the Isle of the Apes album, things like this. So folks who've had some connection over the past 12-odd years with the Noble Ape development in one way or another. There are also Noble Ape simulation users, and this is the striking thing. There are folks that listen to Ape Reality, perhaps you're one of these, who aren't Noble Ape simulation users. In fact, they don't really have much interest in the simulation or things like that. I think some folk have described the Ape Reality podcast as listening inspiration. I'm not really sure what Gerald Jung uses it for, but I've heard he exercises to it, so perhaps it's a sparring partner <laughs> through his exercise <laughs> regime. So there are two Facebook groups. One of them is available by link through the simulation page. This links through to what I've described the historical group as being, but basically it's folk that use the Noble Ape simulation as well and have some intimate connection to the simulation and thus that's the group for them. And for folks who listen to Ape Reality on the Ape Reality page, there's a link through to a Facebook group associated with Ape Reality. So if you're listening to this podcast and if you're on Facebook, please consider joining at least the Ape Reality Facebook group and consider also if you use the simulation, joining the simulation Facebook group. And the simulation Facebook group has a rather cute name, which I've mentioned in previous podcasts, but you'll need to check it out if you want to know it. Now I'm going to talk about the development. Let me get some background first. I think that's probably critical. When Apple released Leopard 10.5, it started to remove various aspects of Carbon support, and Carbon is the interface that Noble Apus used to interface with that Mac OS 9 and Mac OS 10, and it's a legacy interface that in some regard is based back to 1984, the first Mac OS. So the interlacing between the simulation and Carbon and the simulation the old Apple interface is very, very thin. I don't want you to think that this is something that, you know, reaches down into the kind of depths of the simulation. It is really just a facade. And in that regard, when I did the Chud development with particularly people like George Warner at Apple, I had quite a bit of correspondence about how to implement Carbon in this new environment. Now, my thinking at the time was that it related to an iPhone interface or something like that. However, the more I think about it, the more I get the feeling that the iPhone interface will be strictly Coco and there will be no Carbon interface. Now, Coco has run in parallel to Carbon, and that is the development associated with the Objective-C language and historically probably part of Rhapsody and all that kind of stuff that Jobs brought back from Next into Apple. So, they're two quite distinct languages, and I've 
I've got to give a hats off here to John Klein in particular because John has mastered both the Carbon interface and the Cocoa interface in his Objective-C programmer and I'm going to have to learn just enough Objective-C. I think that's the, the requirement in order to move any kind of future Mac version of the Noble Ape simulation. So it's one of these surreal things that I now have a stripped-down Carbon interface but really it needs to be Cocoa probably in the foreseeable future in order to still be a fully integratable Mac application. So it's an interesting thing in and of itself, but some interesting background if you're a particularly Apple-centric nerd. So, what does that mean for the simulation? Well, as I said, the good thing about the simulation is most of it is platform-independent, completely platform-independent. But here's another curious thing. About probably two years ago, I met with Bruce Damer and a friend of his whose name skipped my mind. I will include a link to the Moon Monkeys page so you can remind yourselves faster than I can think of the fellow's name. Anyway, we met in Southern California to discuss the Moon Monkeys project, and at the time, the Moon Monkeys project was going to be a possibly partially funded development between Noble Ape, potentially Dave Kerr's Air, and Digital Space. And it was this idea that NASA wanted a rich simulation environment, and these components were going to be the testing parts of that. Now, skip forward maybe three, five months, I had develop the Noble Ape simulation in a direction where it would be very easy for it to be library componentized for the likes of air or digital space to pick up sections of the simulation. And then historically the Intel release of the Noble Ape simulation occurred and the priorities were then very swiftly shifted onto that. And I may have got my timing on my history slightly out of whack I think I have in some regard. But there was development actually I think maybe well how did it go? Intel, Moon Monkeys Intel, so there was kind of secondary development and the code had to be reintegrated into the Intel source, so there was all this kind of toing and froing. And in the end, I think a large part of the Moon Monkeys development was removed up until the past week and a half. So when you start thinking about dividing the Noble Ape simulation into libraries, the divisions that I've made so far that seem to make logical sense is the idea of the hard simulation, the soft simulation, the file IO ape script stuff, which handles both the file parsing, which is, it's not XML, it's not even XML-esque, but for folk that are familiar with XML, it is a similar kind of structural syntax in some regard. And then ApeScript, which is obviously the interpreted, executed, noble ape language. And the fascinating thing is that the file I own ApeScript I've progressively integrated. So the stuff that reads the files and puts it into noble ape data that can be taken off and done stuff with, is shared code with ApeScript. Increasingly shared code, not obviously the interpretation stuff is separate, but with regards to various file handling and low-level file handling, they share the same code. And then, of course, the platform-independent graphics. Now, the beauty of these libraries, and I'll talk a little bit about the hard and soft simulation in a minute, just to give a sense of what that is, is that, for example, if you just wanted weather and landscape, you would just have the hard simulation that has the weather, the landscape, and the biology, so you get the biology for free if you're interested. You know, if you just wanted the landscape, you could have the hard simulation. If you just wanted the weather, you could have the hard simulation. You just feed in the height values and the map values through into the weather simulation. You then have the soft simulation, which is the Noble Apes primarily, in fact, almost exclusively, with some handling included to allow for states. And this was an interesting interaction that I had with Pedro earlier in the week. I think his concern was to do with the time frames and how you were going to allow Noble Apes to be animated and things like that. And 
And my thought was that what one should have is a set of states that are set over whatever period of time the testing is for the graphics engine. And then over that period of time, it will identify whether the ape is sleeping, looking for food, finding a mate, you know, giving birth, swimming, dying. All these kind of things will be fed into the states, which can then be cleared by the graphics environment, whatever's reading it. And this gives the opportunity for relatively rich combinatory animation sequences to interface directly with the simulation through this kind of higher level description. I thought that was quite cute. So that's the soft simulation, and as it is currently, there's no ape script in there. Well, there needs to be some kind of ape script interface, and this is where it gets very curious, because obviously things like looking for food and these kind of things are, are best written through ape script explicitly. So this is the current question, whether the soft simulation will have to include ape script. Initially, I don't think so, but it will probably in the very near future. And then, of course, there is the graphics. And the graphics really are completely optional now. I think I'll maintain the graphics for the Windows version, the Slimline Mac version, and obviously the Linux version, but potentially the graphics will be relatively secondary to the simulation. And this allows folks like Digital Space and Air and other engines, and as Pedro said, well, you know, you can write your own and just have an OpenGL interface to it all. All these kind of things are allowed with the library structure where you have the hard and soft simulation, perhaps file IO ape script with no graphics. Well, with no platform-independent Node-Lape-esque graphics. So that's the libraries as they stand. There may be an overarching high-level library that will be used for compilation of a traditional simulation through Cocoa or things like that. The colour handling and other aspects to the graphics in particular will be stripped out of the platform-dependent code. There's still a little bit of translation of platform-dependent code and put purely in the graphics code, which will make it, again, optional for folk who write stuff with the libraries. The final point I want to make about the library development is error handling and this is something I'm very sensitive to because initially I think there's going to be a lot of tinkering with the stuff and the most immediate feedback about mistakes that occur in the tinkering is probably going to be really positive. I don't want a situation where folks are tinkering with the libraries and just getting garbage values or getting crashes or not getting anything adequate to describe what is going wrong and why it's going wrong. Now obviously the source code will be distributed with the libraries as well so people can go back, look at the source code, look at the library, get a sense of what's going on if they want to debug into the source code, this kind of stuff. But the error handling is something I'm very cognizant of, and it will be optional. I will produce error-handled and non-error-handled versions of the libraries, and people can choose which ones they want. I recommend initially, obviously, the, the error-handled versions. You know, whether they choose in a release version to have the fully error-handled version as an interface through the release back to the users that are tinkering, or whether they'll have their own error-handling interface between the library error-handling interface and their users, or whether they'll just, having developed the stuff around the libraries no longer need an error handling interface. They can have the, the streamlined down library. All these options are available in providing two different libraries. Now, the big thing. Documentation. Website. Other things to do, assist people actually doing the development with this. This is where it gets really interesting. It's one thing just releasing a library and some headers and things like that, but getting the documentation, getting the developers involved and passionate and excited. I mean, these are things that, you know, I'm still left scratching my head about in some regard. I'm trying to get a small pool of developers who are already developing artificial life or artificial life centric stuff that may be receptive to this kind of stuff to be early on testers and to give direct feedback. However all this is touch and go. You roll dice. It's not something that can be immediately quantified. I mean if you look at the development of 8Script for example this is something which when it was released had maybe half a dozen to two dozen developers at most working with it at any given time. So you can never really be sure how these things are going to be picked up and 
what I'm interested in doing actually once these things have been released is in improving the hard simulation improving the soft simulation maybe integrating ApeScript and the File.io directly into the soft simulation and well the graphics they, they, have, they have set their purpose as I've said in previous podcasts they've, they've done their bit with regards to the simulation and it would probably be better to have third parties or a new OpenGL engine written you know it would work better with future operating systems and future versions of current operating systems so that's the library development to date I've talked up until now relatively lightly about the week off in November it seems extreme to pack so much into a week and it's something that I'm thinking about quite greatly particularly as my wife whilst she won't be here is giving me things to do like enrol for her and various other things so I will have additional projects aside from what's amounting to five or six days off currently I would like to get as much done as possible I think the programming is getting to a state where it's almost writing itself for something that would not take up time in the November week off so I could dedicate that period to writing and still be perfectly up to speed with regards to generating the libraries and potentially learning Objective-C sufficiently to provide all the interface stuff on the Mac side at least to the libraries through Objective-C. However, there is additional writing as I've noted with regards to the website and the library documentation that needs to be presented online in some way. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be hitting the ground running in terms of writing a chapter. I have some outline. I'm going to spend some part of the evenings of the next week getting an outline together so really it will just be a matter of filling in the gaps. And the structure is looking pretty well defined in terms of what I want to say. I'm going to be seeing Bruce Damer the week following. Bruce and his wife Galen. Bruce's current work seems to be very East Coast centric. I hope that he'll be able to get to a grey thumb as he's spending quite a bit of time on the East Coast. And I was hoping to do a Biota interview with him another one, a follow-on from the previous one to talk more about what he's doing on the East Coast. My hope is he'll get back to California to have an opportunity to chat before I meet him and his wife on location in Las Vegas. These are the kind of things laid out over the next few weeks. The library development, writing heavily in the November week off, which is what, eight days away now? Maybe nine days away? And meeting Bruce Damer the week following, which will hopefully give a roundup of the writing period and all these various other things that are going on. My hope is to get some equipment early next year to make the recording of Biota podcasts in particular a lot easier and to open up the conversations for more discussion. I think the interesting thing with recording these podcasts is the recording part is really the easiest part. It's just the post-production, which seems to be the most time-consuming. And whilst this podcast is being recorded on Thursday evening, it will probably take a few days for it to filter out onto the RSS feed in terms of all the post-production work that needs to go on. This is just with a single recording source. If you had multiple recording sources, as was the case through the Biota conversation, it's amazing how long it takes to actually edit down a podcast with multiple tracks. When I did the Best Damn Podcast Ever, I had three or more tracks, an hour and a half to two hours worth of audio per track that I mixed down, and it was completely brutal. It's not something which I want to be doing particularly... I don't know, it adds an inertia, basically, to the process. So I'm hoping by having digital recording and an improved setup and levels and things that I can alter on the fly easily and multiple call-in points in terms of Skype and phone and things like that, that the process will be a little bit easier and it will cut down some of the editing. A large portion of it is to do with software editing as well. So my hope is with the hardware recording, the software editing will be slightly easier. But all that's to be seen. Anyway, I think this has probably covered all the bases that I wanted to touch in a current Ape Reality podcast. If you have any questions, tom at noblepe.com. As I mentioned, those 
two Facebook groups, one available from the simulation page, nobleape.com slash sim, and one from the ape reality page, nobleape.com slash reality. Thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. Look forward to you tuning into the next podcast.